true or false? My favorite kind of test. I'm a gambler. The odds, if you don't know true or false, 50%, pretty good. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Vegas, but uh, blackjack is 42.2%. I don't know why I know that, but I do. And if you do roulette, it's actually worse because of the two green ones, the double zero and zero. So 50% is pretty good. And those are great odds. So when I was taking a test, I had a 50% chance of getting this right. That's great odds. Multiple choice, man, it goes down pretty dramatically. Hopefully it's only three, but if it goes four or all of above or none of the above, now we're really in trouble. So here's it, here's it goes. I'm going to start with a test today. And what I'd love for you to do is write it down because I'm going to fact check you or I'm going to see if you know the test correctly. So write it down. Take a mental note. There's seven of them. There could be 27 or 7,000, but here's seven. True or false, in the first century, believers met on Sunday. True or false? I'm not asking, just hold on. Keep it to yourself. Number two, true or false, you need to have faith in order to be healed. Don't say anything. Somebody might not know. True or false, worshiping God in nature is better than worshiping God in church. True or false, this is a good one. It's, I hope you guys get this one. God helps those who help themselves. True or false? How about number five? It's narrow-minded and exclusive to say that Jesus is the only path of salvation. True or false? Number six, God won't give you, true or false, God won't give you more than you can handle. We hear that a lot, even in small groups. And finally, the last one, true or false, the only reason to going to church is hear the preaching word. The only reason to go to church to hear the preaching word. So I'm going to get back to those answers a little bit later at the end of the message. Write them down. Go back. I Hopefully you get them. Um, and, and I just want to give you this little caveat really quickly. Uh, about nine years ago, my friend Ed Carlstone gave us this test. And he said, this church that went through the Bible in five years, so about seven years after going through the Bible once and two years going through it again, they did this test to see how well the church knew what was going on. And he thought, oh, our church is going to hit this out of the ballpark. And basically, most of them were at 50% because we don't pay attention. We don't know what's being said. So today, there's going to be some stuff that you need to know because today we're talking about false teaching or false prophets again. And as we open up the gospel, I mean, not the gospel of John, it's First John chapter 4. That's where we're at in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, if not, we'll have it on the screen. Again, chapter 2, chapter 2 talks about false teachings and false prophets. And to get today, again, we're going to talk about that. Why? Because John's concerned about what's happening in the church, and he wants to remind or reiterate what's going on. And so if you're here today, you're online, if you're outside in that brisk winter, fall weather out there, we're grateful that you're here today. But know that John is concerned about what people are hearing about God. And whether Jesus was God, was he real, was he actually a human? It was now 30 years beyond that. And so people were questioning a lot of things about who Jesus was. And so here's where we begin. John chap, 1 John chapter 4, it's at the end of the Bible. It's on page 1951. You guys, that's a Baptist joke. So in the Baptist church, they have hymnals and they have a Bible and everybody picks it from the front and they all turn to the same page and you hear for like 10 minutes. That doesn't happen in this church. Anyway, chapter chapter 4, here's it, it says this. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. 
you must test them. That's what we just did to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in this world. So let's stop there, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And here's what I like to do is let's pray. And I'm going to pray that God uses me and speaks truth. And you need to pray that God uses me and speaks truth as well. Right? So let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We're so grateful for the worship that you gave us. And we ask that, you're, that you prepare our hearts for the word of God and to decipher truth from false teaching and to see what we see in this world and understand true and false in our lives. So, Father, we claim victory and we ask that today there will be salvation because of your grace and mercy, that there will be a revelation, which just means that you will speak from heaven to our hearts. And Lord, in here or online or outside or somewhere in this community, God will transform someone from something that was old and, and, and wretched to something new and beautiful for your creation. Lord. We claim you above all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not believe, it says in verse 1, that everything that is claimed to speak by the Spirit. Test them. So we've done a little test. We'll get back to that test, and I'm glad you guys know uh, some of them. Hopefully you know all of them. But we're to test the things that come from God because there are many things that are false in this world. Now listen, we talked about it last week. We are in a place that our culture is now post-Christian, meaning we're beyond what a society looks like as Christian because not everybody knows. And so we're going to start teaching where everybody understands all the simple and all the hard things. And I hopefully you'll grab that. So it says John is warning us about everything, uh, uh, warning us against believing everything by the Spirit, who claims to speak by the Spirit. Every spiritual experience, every demonstration of the spiritual power needs to be tested. We must test spiritual uh, revelations and spiritual demonstrations so that we can see, in fact, are these from God? Now, here's what happens, though. We're afraid of that. Have you ever been in a church service? And you're like, dude, is that really real, Jeff? We don't do that, even though I might have said something false because we're very polite. We don't really say that's wrong. And so we're supposed to test that. And let me give you an example. Uh, every time we travel, uh, me and Liz, or, you know, when I'm by myself or something, we all, I always try and go to church. And about, man, I think it was 2014, there was this revival moment happening in San Diego, and I still think it's happening. But there was this church that was streaming online. Now, today, everybody's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Four, six years ago, that was unheard of. Every night from seven until whenever it ended, they were streaming online and people all over the world were watching and they were experiencing these words from God and it was radical. Well, one, uh, one night I had to go down there to pick up our keyboard because it was gonna cost $300 to ship and we're cheap and frugal and good with our money here. And so I said, well, I'll drive down and I took my nephew, my sister Kim's son, and we drove down to pick up this keyboard and then while we were there, we're like, hey, we should go to this church thing. So we go to this church and we sit in, you know, we're, we're like front row sitters. So we sit in like in the front or second row because I look at people. And if I'm in the back row, I'm just staring at people and not listening to anything because you guys are weird. And so I'm sitting in the first row, second row, and things start filling in and things start getting a little weird for me. A little weird. Now, if you guys know my story, a little weird is not like, crazy because I was partying in, in Manhattan doing a work thing once and I ended up an hour and a half into New Jersey by the end of the night at a crack house. So that's crazy. 
not that kind of crazy. I'm just saying it got a little weird for me. And so in the middle of this, I'm thinking, is this from God? And I started questioning, is this of God? Because I was getting a little worried. I was getting a little bit scared, like maybe this isn't, because I hadn't experienced stuff like this before. And so I started questioning my spirit. And I'm like, if it's wrong, God, you just tell me, and I'll jump up and say Jesus is real and the gospel. And God says, calm down, you're just afraid. It doesn't mean it's wrong. But we, we have a fear of questioning God. And it's our responsibility as Christians to question everything. Sorry, I can't get it out of my tongue. Better take a drink of tea. It's tea, by the way. My wife doesn't let anything else but tea. But we also, as leadership, and you should know that the leadership in this church questions a lot of things and everything. If there's something that's weird from the pulpit, which there's a lot of stuff at Journey that comes from the pulpit that's weird, we try and test it. We also want to backfill it to make sure. And here's an address. Just write it down or memorize it. Think about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 just says this. It says, test all things and hold fast to what is good, the good news. Test all things to hold fast to what the good news says. Testing spirits is the work of the body. You're supposed to come up and say, Jeff, I don't know if that was true or not. Let's talk about it because it's hard to say everything from the stage and, 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 and say it correctly where everybody understands it or what God is trying to say. So we are as a body to test this and it's done by this thing called discernment. And now that we're a post-Christian era, the discernment just means understanding and hearing what God is trying to say and, how, and what our ears are trying to say. If you've ever done if you've ever been married the husband says this go get a thing of milk and the wife comes back with a cup of coffee how did that happen it's just how we communicate because we don't hear exactly so we're supposed to have this discernment and 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 that's what's supposed to happen here so here's what happens when we talk about prophecy all that means is a a, a word coming from heaven to people to speak to them about what God is saying it's uh it's to equip the church and so all prophecy or all words from someone that has a, a vision or a, or a concept of God coming to them is to be held by scriptural standards. It means that there's some words in the Bible and they need to match that, not add to it, not add extra commentary, but they need to be held to that. And it's never to be received because of dramatic people. I don't know, last week I told this dramatic story. It could have been all a lie. It doesn't mean you have to believe it. And it doesn't mean that because I'm the pastor, everything I say is actually always true. Hopefully it is, but it, it's not always that way. So we have to test that. And the job of the church is to be unified and to make sure that we're not contradicting, contradicting the good news of who God is. So let's go to verse two. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. And here's what it says. If a person claiming to be a prophet, and some of your text just has the Spirit speaking through them. That's all it means. The Spirit of God is speaking through them. Acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in real body. That person has the Spirit of God. So back in the day, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but in general, there's this idea of Gnosticism in the Bible. And what happened was people were going, and there were 20, 30, 40 years after Christ had ascended into heaven, and people were adding things to the Bible. 
adding things to what Jesus did and what he said. And like, we got another gospel. We got more things that went on. There's more to this. And that's not what God is. God doesn't add. It says in the very end of the Bible, don't add to any of his words. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. And so here he says this. And so Gnosticism was just saying uh, he wasn't real. He wasn't really God. You know, he's just a, 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 an entity or a prophet, a good teacher. And we see that today in some of the religions around us. He's not really, Jesus is not who he says he is. He's not completely the full workings of God. And so to sum up verse two, because I want to do something I've never done before. Here's the idea of verse two. True prophecy or true spirit, uh, speaking in the spirit of God and true teaching will present a true Jesus. True prophecy or true spiritual teaching uh, will teach a, a true gospel Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, of who he is. That's what the four books are to teach us, who Jesus is. Now, I, I've wanted to do this for years, and I've never done it, so I'm excited that you're here today for whatever reason God has you here. But I want to give you some essentials of Christianity, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on them because I don't know if everybody knows the essentials. And this... I was, I was out with my friend Chris and his wife, Kat, and we were talking about this is what we fight for, the essentials of Christianity. And if you go to our website and you go to the About Us, I was talking to Jeremy this week, it's all listed there, but it's in paragraph form. And I'm just going to list some of the essentials. And here's what it says. First of all, the Bible is the word of God. It was given by heaven to a man, and they wrote it down, and it was in this canonization where they took these 66 books and they put it together it's called the living word of god it's alive it's something that we believe it's a hundred percent true it's a hundred percent accurate if you look and do a deep dive and if you're questioning the bible do a deep dive go to google they'll try and misguide you at the beginning but you do a deep dive you'll find the accuracy of the bible is astounding and when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 50s, mid-50s, 54, I think, they found out it was even more accurate, and they found an older version. So the Bible is 100% true. Even though there's some really crazy things in there, it's still 100% true, and that's what we believe. That's the essential of Christianity. The second one is there's this thing called the Godhead. There's the tr we call it the Trinity. It's the triune God, and it's God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We always see that, but here's the thing. We call that the Trinity. The actual Trinity isn't in the Bible. But the Godhead, three in one, is in the sense that he talks about God as being God the Father, and then God being Jesus Christ as the Son, and then the Spirit of God as, as, as he, an actual work. So there is three. Humans are kind of created the concept of the Trinity. It's the triune. So that's the second one. Uh, the next one is Jesus is God. That's the whole Gospel of John. And the same author that wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. And all that means is that Jesus is 100% human, and he's 100% God. God can do that because why? Good job. That wasn't a true or false. You could answer. Because he's God. And so we believe that Jesus is God. That's essential to our faith. And now we're coming up to Dustin's been counting down since, I don't know, what, July 24th or June 24th? How many days to Christmas? My friend Noel's like, eight weeks till Christmas. I'm like, what? We haven't even got through Halloween yet. Let's settle down. But as we come into this uh, holiday season, we believe that Jesus was born a virgin. She was basically taken over, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. And God, because he's God, put a baby in her belly. And Jesus came out of the belly. And I don't want to get into all of that. Ask Jeremy. He had a couple kids recently. He'll tell you how that works. But she was born a virgin. And Jesus 
is, is lived just like you and I. And the beautiful thing is he lived these years on this earth, 33 years, sin-free. Sin-free. We believe that. He was 100% sin-free, essential. And because of that, we are saved by grace which means that you can't earn salvation. There's nothing you can teach in Bible school or pray for at the end of the message. We're going to have a prayer team up here. There's nothing you can do to set up and tear down that can get you the grace of God. It's just God and his grace. And we believe that you are saved by faith. That's it. And then the second one, or the second part of that is salvation is through Christ alone. If you remember the true and false answer, hopefully you remember that, but it's only through Jesus. There's no other path. Let's keep moving. And then as we go to the cross, this is an essential part. The cross is critical because the finishing work of Jesus, he went to the cross and his blood was shed. And that blood makes us right with God. That blood that dripped on the ground allows that blood to cleanse us so that we don't need a priest, an imam, or a pastor or anybody to go to God. You can now go to God wherever you're at. In the bathroom, in the shower, at home, at coffee bean, at Starbucks. There's a little bit of blocking at Starbucks right now, but other places you can go. And, and you can hear the voice of God and you can go directly to God. So that cross work was important. And then the other one is that sin separates you from God. Sin is an issue and you need to realize it, that sin is an issue. And if you don't deal with sin, it will keep you separated from God, not only on earth, but if you don't deal with the sin issue, it'll keep you separated God forever. It's just, just how it is. Here's two more. Uh, one of the ones I, I get excited about is the resurrection power. Three days after Jesus died, he rose again. 500 people saw him. All you need is one person in court of law to say, hey, this is true, and they'll actually validate that person, and that person can go free or be found not guilty if they have one person. Jesus had 500 plus people that saw him. He, came, he, he rose again three days, and that gives us eternal life. And here's the last one. Jesus is coming back. And I hope he does it right now. I don't have to finish the message and I won't have to wait in the toppers line. It'll be great. Those are the essentials and you need to know them and they're important. Verse three, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Doesn't acknowledge the truth. That, that, that sentence should be highlighted, meaning they, they believe in a Jesus concept, but they don't believe in the full Jesus concept. That's what he's saying. That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard come, which you heard is coming into the world. And what does it say? What does it say? Indeed, it's already here. Maybe here. Maybe not here, I hope. I prayed against it today. But it's already here. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Antichrist. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. That the anti means opposite, so the opposite of Jesus. But a lot of times when we talk about the Antichrist, it's actually an image of, you know, Satan comes in and he bends light to make it look like the real light, but it's not real light. It's like a prism. You know, you see the light hit the prism and it goes into all these different beautiful colors. Satan tries to look like he's the beautiful light, but he's not the one true light. So it's not just the opposite, but it's something that looks like uh, that it could be God. And so you need to understand that, that something might not be true because it bent looks like God. But then you need to also know that the Antichrist knows the word better than you. And he probably knows it better than me, for sure better than me. So we need other people in our life and other fellowship in our life so that we can understand what's of God and what's not of God. 
John is saying here that the Spirit both opposes and uh, offers a different type of Jesus, a substitute or an imitation Jesus different from the gospel. Let me give you an example. If you're a steak lover and you want to go to a steakhouse and you order this big old 24-ounce uh, um, steak with the bone out of it, what do you call that? The tomahawk. I had that with my friend Kyle the other night. Awesome steak. I'm still eating off of it. It's been that big. It reminded me of the Flintstone. Anybody remember that steak that Flintstone used to have? It was just like that. It was awesome. And uh, I've been walking around all week just chawing on it. But if you go to a steakhouse and they bring you a tofu uh, a piece of meat, you're like, hmm, it's not exactly what I ordered. Now, I'm not, uh, just, just stay with me. If you, if you like tofu, I'm not bagging on tofu. If you go to a seafood house like I did last night, I took my wife to get some seafood last night and I got crab. Now, if they give me the imitation crab, it looks really nice and beautiful. Man, it doesn't taste like, it, ta it tastes like something just like crab but ends with a P. You can't say crap in church so you don't say that. Or if you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you go to a restaurant and you're saying, well, I'm vegan and I don't eat anything with the meat products, I want plant-based, and they cook everything in lard. That's probably not what you're looking for, right? And that's what the enemy's doing. He wants to give you this imitation. The devil doesn't care at all that you know Jesus, you love Jesus, and you pray to Jesus, and you even maybe sing a song to Jesus. He doesn't care as long as it's a false Jesus, a make-believe Jesus, an imitation Jesus, a not a real Jesus. And that type of Jesus doesn't have a lot of a power and authority. He's not with you all the time, and he's definitely not going to resurrect you on the second day, uh, 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 when, he, when Jesus comes back. So the devil's okay with you having this fake imitation crab Jesus because he knows you're not going to get to where you want to be. And I think a lot of us today, because we don't know the essentials and don't know that we get stuck in this imitation place. Verse 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. Everybody say, I belong to God. If you belong to God, then you've already won the victory over those people. You're victorious. Why? Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. I love that verse. Maybe you've heard it this way. It's the NASB, and here's what it says. It says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. That's the so if you don't know the verse, it's first John chapter four, verse four. Something you should remember. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And listen, for a guy that's dyslexic that can remember that, that's a miracle and from God right there. Because that's a lot of words that come out from he and him in me to the world. Amen. Listen, a child of God doesn't need to fear the Antichrist. He doesn't because we have victory living inside of us. It's the dwelling of the spirit. We are being warned and warning is good, but we don't need to fear. Just because we're afraid doesn't mean that God's not gonna take over. Just because we're not excited about what society is doing. You know what it says? This is completely off script, which is not uh, unusual for me. It says when Christ comes back, it's gonna be like the days of Noah. Man, minus the water, we're in the days of Noah right now. So that just, just, that's, that's just free today. You guys can take, take that for what it is. But we have this spirit dwelling in us, and that spirit is greater than he who is in this world. Let me say that again. 
That spirit, because you believe in the essentials that we talked about, is greater than he who reigns in this world, the spirit of darkness, the prince of evil. He's greater. And so that means that the enemy, Satan, boogeyman, all the crazy kooks out at Halloween that want to put something on to scare everybody in the world, which, you know, I don't mind scaring my wife. It's super funny. She doesn't like it. Trust me, that's not funny when she's going to go, that's not funny at lunch. Trust me, that's not going to go over well. But it's funny in my head. We believers have a resource for victory. Who likes to win? You better have your hand up. I played games with you, and you, you're as bad as I am. So I'm a terrible loser. So in my house, we don't play any board games at all. Seriously, I tried to play a board game yesterday with my wife when we were camping. She's like, are you kidding me? You're not spiritually mature enough yet. <laughs> but I love Christ because Christ gives me the victory that I desire. I want to win all the time. And the only time I win all the time is through Jesus Christ. He makes victory possible. Everybody say all the time. So we have a resource to give us victory and allow us to, so that we can live with the greater that is he who is in me and have victory over he who is in this world. That's the beautiful part of this statement. And what that means is I'm not relying on he who is in this world because he who is in this world is not doing it for me. He's got another agenda. And I can't rely on myself because myself is going to get me into my own issues. So I have to come together with other people in church. Understanding this, this is called discernment, gives us great confidence and spiritual power. And when you have confidence and feel like the power of God is within you, you can do things that you've never done before. Like go to a church and go, is this true? Is what he's saying true? Because if it's false, I'll stand up and say, Satanist. I probably wouldn't because I'm not that brave, but I would like to say I was going to do that, right? But when we have this confidence, we're living in this victory that is assured to us. We are overcomers, that we've con we have a, a one who's conquered the world. This positive, confident statement allows me to live in the promises of God. Not this wishful thinking or hopeful statement like, I hope that's true, Jeff. Because if you're saying, I hope that's true, you're not in that real gospel living and breathing Jesus who rose from the dead. You're believing in an imitation because hope is he's coming back. Not hopeful, hope is coming back. So this is how I see it. Many years ago, as I was reading the Bible, I was locked up. God gave me this verse in Romans and I don't know why. I really didn't understand anything around Romans chapter eight, verse 31. But in Romans eight, there's this statement that says in eight twenty-eight, it says, God causes all things to work together for the good of his purpose, not the good of your purpose, but for the good of her, his purpose. So he can cause death and divorce. He can cause drug addiction. He can cause crazy things that have happened in your past for the good of his purposes. And then it says, we are all corporately predestined for the glory of God. Some would say only an elect but we I would say there's a corporate a corporate and then Romans 8 31 says well what shall we say in response to these things and here's the verse that God gave me when I was locked up and I've never forgot it I've lived by it there was a day that I said it over a thousand times because I was struggling and if I didn't say it and if I left the house I probably would have used it. and I probably wouldn't be here today and it says this if God is for me who can be against me if God in the universe came down with his son and is for me, 
then who in this universe, who in the heavens, who anywhere else is against me? If God is for me, there's no human, no child, no spouse, no person, no evil person that's not going to knock on my door tonight can be against me. Because why? Because God is for me. That's the assurance that we need to have. And that's what God wants to have us understand today. Verse 5 says this. Those who belong to the world, those who belong to this world, so they speak uh, from this world's viewpoint and listen to the world. Uh, the world listens to them. I got that jacked up. But here's the, basically what it says. They speak world. Right? That's their whole mindset. The world speaks world. And if we're in a post-Christian mindset, mindset, which means we're no longer in a place where everybody was raised Christian and believe in the Bible and heard all the stories of Noah and Abraham, and David and Joseph and all these brilliant stories, then we need to believe that many people are speaking world. And here's what happens, especially to the church in the last 50 years. We feel like we need to speak world. And so we get close to the world so that we can save those that are in the world. And so what happens is we become so relevant to the world that we end up becoming irrelevant to the gospel because we're letting the world in. And so what we're doing at this church online and outside is we're going to go back just to the word and to the community and to praying and teaching and doing all the things that the Bible says so that we get the world out and we get closer to Christ. We've got a quit speaking world. We are not of this world. We live in this world, but we are to not be of this world. There's this moment where Jesus is fighting the, the, the structure of Judaism. And he says, oh, you brood of vipers, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. And he says, how can you who are evil say anything good? And if you look at that verse in a couple of other translations, it just says, how can we think we're saying good when we're projecting evil? You don't respond with evil with evil. We respond evil with good. And then he says, he says this, he says, from the mouth speak from what the heart is full of. What are you full of? Some of us are full of P-O-O-P. Maybe not in this room, but maybe in our neighborhood or our schools or our work. But what are we full of? If you're, I, I had lunch with someone the other day and the first 20 minutes of somebody I hadn't talked to in a while was about COVID. That's all I'm going to say. If that's the conversation that we're going to have, it was the same conversation I had a year ago. Same conversation. That's not getting us to where we need to be. Verse six. But we belong to God. Everybody say, we belong to God. Well, some of you ain't going to make it. Let's try that again. We belong to God. Whoa. That was like a sea of craziness, but good. You guys belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. Because at church, we come to church to hear about Jesus and combat things of this world. Because why? We belong to God. We're a child of God, and we want to hear about God, and we want to grow in our faith to God. And so we belong to God, and those that belong to God then go, oh man, what he's saying makes sense. I need to, I need to uh, uh, get my essentials down so that I can really belong and know what God is saying. We belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. 
If they do not belong to God, then they do not listen to us. And this is how we know someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. This is how we know someone's true or someone's false. Listen, if the world doesn't know God and you're using godly terms and godly Bible verses, but they don't know God, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to be scratching your head going, well, what do you mean? Because we don't belong to God. Yesterday, we did an outrage at Vons, and my sister said, a couple of people said, we're atheists. So what would an atheist, they, they don't belong to God. They still take gift cards. It's funny how that is, right? But you don't belong to God. You're not going to know God. So what we can do is only can do by our testimony, by the word of our testimony, right? They don't belong to God. They need to see you look like a child of God and look like something different. Those who are God enjoy fellowship with other believers because they speak a common language. We come to church and we sing about uh, the cross and how beautiful it is and the blood of Jesus cleansing us and the grace of God. And, and if we and if we have, uh, you know, if we fail that God takes our eight million issues and, 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 and takes us up and just some of the beautiful lyrics we sing all make sense to Christians, but outside they're like, what are these guys? They're weird. So we need to show them that it's good to be around other people. We speak a common language of fellowship. Fellowship just means friendship. And if you tell someone, let's go and fellowship tomorrow at church, they're going to go, what does that mean? Well, just come and have a cup of coffee and let's talk and maybe come in and sit in this church with us and let's see if you can be a friend of Jesus like I am. That's all fellowship is. When we have that common language, and this is a week one of this sermon series, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, then we're in this place of real faith and real relations. It's the essence of this sermon series. And we could end right here, but there's so much more rich text beyond it. But this is where John is trying to get us to. The language of fellowship, the friendship of God, and the friendship with others who love God, the fellowship of language transcends language, culture, class, race, or any other barrier. And that's what makes church and Christianity so different and so unique to this world. Because people come here and they can be a Democrat and people come here and can be a Republican and people come here and they can live on the other side of the tracks or not have a place, have a big house or a small house, have no house, live in an RV, live at the beach, live in the mountains, live under a tree. And no matter what, we still celebrate Jesus Christ. And that is what makes us different. And if we continue to do that, like we used to do that, then people will come in and go, that church, that community is different. They're welcoming regardless of what I look like, smell like, think like, or act like. And we love them into a place where they're, the kindness, it says, leads us to repentance. Does that make sense? Uh, in the Gospel of John, there's this moment where John is writing about this separate John named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist in John chapter thir 3, verse 30 says, some guys come up, go, hey, this Jesus guy's taking all our baptisms. And John says in his humble approach, he says, listen, he needs to become greater and our ministry needs to become less because he's the actual Messiah. And I'm just a knucklehead that was opening up the gate for the Messiah to come. And then John the Baptist says this, then John writes in his gospel, John 3, verse 31, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven is greater than anyone else. We speak earth or world, 
and we need to learn to speak heaven. It's like a new language. When we come to Christianity, we have to speak a new language. And I'm not talking about Greek or Hebrew. I'm talking about the language of love that Christ has for us. Because we belong to him and we are made in his image so we should be like him. And so Jesus came down so that we have someone that we can imitate until he truly comes back. We need to learn. So, all right, you guys ready? True or false? Verse one, or the first one. True or false? In the first century, believers met on Sunday. True or false? That's true, actually. Good job, you guys. So what happens is, if you've ever been to Israel, the first day of the week is actually on Sunday because Saturday they're closed. So they work six days a week. So here's what Paul writes. Paul writes Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. On, in Israel, Saturday, nobody moves. You can get a parking spot anywhere. There's amazing thing. But on Sunday, everybody's at their first day. So on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, all the believers met on Sunday. Good job. Thanks, uh, you guys. Acts chapter 20, read that a little bit. Second one, you need to have faith in order to be healed by Jesus. True or false? false Jesus healed every disease and sickness among the people in Galilee Judea and everywhere he went to authenticate his messiahship and give Israel a taste of his kingdom and there's all kinds of verses take a picture of that and read that and see if that's true there was a woman Dustin Dustin preached a message this summer about the questions of Jesus and he was talking about being desperate and this woman was so desperate that she touched the go the robe and by her faith she was healed but that doesn't mean everybody was that way. That was just her. It's false. We feel like that, but we preach like that. Though it's got to be, you got to have more faith. And that's why you're a drug addict or that's why you're acting like an idiot. You need more faith. If it was that simple, it's not that simple. Jesus healed everybody. And it said that he was healing people that didn't even believe they were just coming and he was healing in the name of Jesus. And then one guy gets healed and then he's like, well, I want to follow you. And he had legions in him. That's false. Number three, worshiping God in nature is better than worshiping God in the church. Sunday fun day. I'm at the beach. I'm in the mountains. I'm fishing, you know, or I'm at the soccer field. We're worshiping Jesus. No, you're not. Baseball, whatever. Sunday fun day, it's not. It's nice. It's beautiful, but it's not worshiping God. It's not like worshiping in church service. Hebrews says, let us not neglect. What does neglect mean? Don't do that. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some of you do. Good job you're here today. Give yourself a hand. As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that we're in this crazy crap time in our society and COVID's taken over. Is that what it says? That's what it should say. But don't neglect because the time is when Je the time is where Jesus is drawing near. Let's move on. Verse uh, the fourth one: God helps those who help themselves. True or false? We say that a lot. I heard it recently in a group of of people at Journey. Well, God helps those who help themselves. I heard that about four or five weeks ago. That's actually false. Romans chapter five, Jeremy was helping with me this week and it says, while we were utterly helpless, 
Christ came at just the right time and died for us. He doesn't actually want your help. He wants you to get out of the way. God doesn't help those who help themselves. Those that help themselves are on their own out there on the outside thinking, looking in going, maybe they're going to let me in one day. No, come in. God will help you. That's a false statement. Number five, this one's hard for some. It's not hard for me, but it's hard for some. It was hard for me 25 years ago, I guess, but it's not hard. It says it's narrow-minded and exclusive to say that Jesus is the only path to salvation. True or false? That's true. It's narrow-minded and exclusive to say that Jesus is the only path. It's true because it's true. Write this verse down. John, for, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus says, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then what does it say? I'm going to let you read that. Read it again together. Ready? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There, there was a girl. Her name was Samantha. And she used to be in my youth group like 15 years ago. And one day I came off stage and she's like, so do you think many paths go? And I'm like, no. And she goes, you kind of said that. And she was kind of questioning and discerning what I said. And it was great. She was like 17. She's a super smart kid. We need to realize only one way. And maybe you don't like it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Let's move on. How about this one? This is Jeremy's favorite, so and you'll know why, because it's kind of confusing to some. But God will give you more than you can handle, true or false? It's false, but most people think it's true. We all say it's false because we don't believe it, but the truth is I hear it said all the time, well, God will give you more. And what happens is, as we look at it, this is not true. It's bad theology. This verse confuses people. Write the verse down, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which strictly talks about temptation, not what I can handle. Here's what it says. The temptation in your life are no different than what others are experiencing. So get over yourself like you're only one that's being tempted the way that you are. We're all being tempted the same way. Maybe not exactly the same way, but someone in this world is getting tempted just like you are. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's what it says. And let's keep getting it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Basically this, God allows you to be tempted and then gives you a way out. He's not forcing you into that. He cannot going, oh, well, David's so strong. He's such a strong will, a strong guy. Not, did I say strong will? Yeah. He's so strong, he can handle all this weight. I'm just going to dump all the crap on him. That would be Job. And we're not Job. God doesn't do that. He, he allows us, because of our free will, to put ourselves into places of temptation. But at one moment, like when I was in that crack house in New Jersey, there was an opportunity for me to get off the train, sober up, and go back to Manhattan to my hotel room. And I didn't do it. That's what I'm talking about. I've got to make the decision. I don't blame God for that. I have to make a decision. Here's the last one. The only reason why you go to church is to hear the preaching word of God. True or false? It's false. But listen, I've been told by a dear friend or a multiple friends of mine, the only thing that you need to do is preach the solid word of God. I had one of my friends leave the church who was on the board of this church 10 years ago. It's like, this is all we're supposed to do and you need to take it very seriously. And I'm like, I... 
We need to. You're right. I got a word from that today from my friend Trace. We need to make sure we don't minimize what's being said. But here's what it says. This is what the word of God says. And this is how a church grows. This is the foundation of what we believe at Journey. It's false. Acts 2.42. All the believers are devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? The word of God. So it is in there. But listen, there's other things. And here's what it says. We are to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching or the word of God, to fellowship, friendship with other believers who believe in Christ in those essentials we talked about, and to sharing meals uh, as well as communion, which we'll do next week. But sharing meals, we've got coffee and donuts and stuff out there. And then what? And we're going to have a prayer team up today. And we have them up every week. And it says those are the things that grow a church. Those are the things that we come to church for. So it's not just the word of God. You need all of it to make a full set of worship. We are to know the essentials of Christ. You got to know them. And if you don't know them and you're struggling with any of those, please reach out to someone on staff or reach out to someone in your life and go, what are they? Take a picture, ask. I will email them. We would love to communicate. And, and, and any one of those that you struggle with, these are the essentials of Christianity. You need to know the essentials. We need to know God's word. If you don't ever read the word of God, I could just be BSing you. And I don't know if you guys know what BS means. Ask my dad, he'll tell you, because he said it all the time growing up, so. But you need to know the word to make sure I know the word. And if I don't know the word, I'm misspeaking, then maybe I need to take a break, and then we need to put someone else up here who knows the word. We need to know the word through and through. And here's the last two. We need to know that we're not of this world. Say, we're not of this world. We don't speak world. We don't live world. We need to be relevant to the gospel, and we need to live in the gospel, because we are not of this world. And here's the last one. We need to know that greater that who is greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And here's my antidote this week. I'm going to challenge you to say that seven times today and say it seven times in your life through the week and see how confident and how powerful and how how vibrant the gospel is in your life. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the Spirit of God moves forth online for those that are outside in that cold and here inside in this place. I pray that you speak to us because greater is he who is in me and you and everybody who believes in Jesus than he who lives in this world and rules this world. And Father, we are grateful for that. And Lord, I ask if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus and wants to make those essentials part of their life, let them walk out and live that gospel life. All they have to do is say a simple prayer, confessing with their mouth and believing with their heart that Jesus is Lord and you can have Christ and your life can be radically different in weeks, months, and years. If that's you, if you're online or if you're outside and if you're here today, all you have to do is repeat after me and say this, Father, forgive Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. I thank you for all the essential things that you have given us, and that you died upon the cross to make me right with you, and that you rose three days later so that I could spend my eternity with you after this life. And I ask, Holy Spirit, take over my mind, body, and soul, my words, my heart, my tongue, and my eyes, and make me a, a believer 
and a follower of you now until we meet in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.